First Samuel 25 tells the memorable story of how God used the pain test in David's life to prepare him for a remarkable future. He had already been anointed as Israel's next king, yet for years God seemed to abandon him. The former giant killer and national hero was reduced to hiding in caves to try to escape the murderous hatred of King Saul. You can read his spiritual journals from this excruciating season in Psalms 54, 57, and 63. One day, out of hope and near starvation, David instructs his men to politely ask a nearby estate owner named Nabal for food. Who is this David? Nabal roars and refuses the request. That humiliating rejection is a direct hit to David's sorest point, his pride. Not to mention his confidence, his sense of fairness, and his identity. Enraged, David sets out with his fighting men to slaughter Nabal's entire household. But Nabal's wife, Abigail, hears what has happened and rushes out to intercept David. She brings a caravan laden with supplies. But her most important gift is an impassioned reminder to David that his real identity and the security for his future are safe in God's hands. In effect, Abigail pleads with David to see beyond his pain and choose instead to pass his test of faith. David recognizes her wisdom and turns back. That crisis, coupled with his terrible years in the desert, was part of the pruning season necessary to prepare David for his future as Israel's greatest king. He learned how to submit to authority, to lead men, to endure, and to trust God in trying circumstances. Where does it hurt in your life today? Look for the vine dresser's shears at work, shaping, directing, and strengthening you for a season of abundance that you may not be able to see right now, but is nevertheless on its way. Prime Points of Pruning Mature pruning is God's way of helping you put into practice His command to seek first the kingdom of God. This is why God will always prune those things that we slavishly seek first, love most, and begrudge giving up. Again, His goal isn't to plunder or harm, but to liberate us so that we can pursue our true desire, His kingdom. This kind of pruning goes beyond rearranging priorities to the heart of what defines us, the people we love, the possessions we cling to, our deep sense of personal rights. These are the very arenas God must rule if we are to bear fruit. Let me share some pruning stories from my own journey as a disciple. Each story shows a key area where sooner or later 
For every mature believer, God's shears will be at work. Arena 1. The People You Love Most I'll never forget a war that raged on a pink shag rug in a little girl's bedroom in Iowa. I was in Desmonis for a seminar, staying with friends. They had put me up in their little girl's bedroom. Everything was pink and small, and my feet hung over the end of the bed. But as I lay in that little bed, I found myself praying for a larger life. Lord, I prayed out loud, we've come so far. What is next? Your kids, he said. I told him I loved my kids. God said, give me your kids. I didn't have to think. Nope, I said. You can't have them. Have you ever arrived suddenly at a pruning point like that? Surrender does not even seem to be an option. The hours ticked by. I found myself kneeling on that pink battlefield, wrestling with God. Not until 3 a.m. was I finally able to release my children and my wife into his keeping. When the transaction was done, those dearest humans in my life no longer belonged to me. I am still privileged to love and tend them, but ownership's rights have passed over to God. God may be asking you to give up your right to be married, to have children, or to achieve a particular kind of success. God may be inviting you to follow Christ without the support of your closest family members, possibly even enduring their hatred and rejection because of your faith. If so, he is pruning closely to what really matters to you, not to take something good from you, but to become Lord of all your desire. Arena 2. Your right to know why God does what he does. We're born with the conviction that we deserve to be in control of our lives. Yet, this assumption is in conflict with the life of faith. That's why, very early in mature pruning, God will ask you to give up your right to know why certain things are happening to you. When he was very young, I took our son David to the hospital for a shot. As the doctor approached with the needle in hand, David bolted. When I finally corralled him behind a planter and swung him up into my arms, I saw the terror in his face. How can you explain to a sick toddler that his body needs penicillin? Yet David stayed in my arms as the doctor prepared to give the injection. When the moment came, David didn't push me away. Instead, he held on more tightly and cried out, Daddy! We go through long seasons in our faith walk when we are unable to answer questions like why and how long. We only know who, our loving Father, and he has proven worthy of our trust. He has asked us to let go of reasons, of rights, of fears, and simply throw our arms around his neck. At those times, we can pray, Father, I am hanging on to you. You can do whatever you want. Just carry me through. Arena 3, Your Love for Money and Possessions For most of us, shedding the power that possessions and material comforts hold over us 
is a lifelong process and one of the most difficult. I found that the love of money springs up like a noxious weed. Servitude to money and possessions demands our energies, our time, our loyalties. That's why, season after season, the vine dresser asks us to let go of the things we still hold too tightly. God is asking you to release something to him, either literally or in your heart. To know where you are in this process, ask yourself, how much of what's mine has God already asked for? And have I given it to him? If we allow this process of pruning to continue, an exuberant freedom to bless others will flourish in its place. This beautiful outcome is described by Paul in a letter to the Corinthians. We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2. Arena 4. The Sources of Your Significance. The prize at stake here is your God-given need for a sense of worth and purpose. For Abraham, it was his miracle son, Isaac. For Gideon, it was his large army. What is it for you? For me, it was the ministry, the walk through the Bible. I struggled for years to give back to God what I understood to be my life's work. The final test came when I grew increasingly sure that God wanted me to make an executive decision that I knew could end the ministry. I felt like God was asking me to give him my life's dream. I vacillated. I postponed. Finally, the day came when I put the future of walkthrough on the altar. I informed our team that we would no longer support the ministry in this way. When I got home, I told Darlene that this chapter of our life was over. To the forced choice question of God or my ministry, I had chosen God. But walkthrough did not close its doors. Once I chose God, he blessed the ministry in ways I never imagined. I understand now that during the period of pruning, God was bringing me to a critical juncture in my Christian life. In order to reach the next level of abundance, I would have to completely give back to him the work he himself had given me, trusting only in him for what would happen next. Great Expectations The Apostle Paul wasn't in the vineyard that night with Jesus and the disciples, yet he became a veteran of pruning. He began, by his own description, as of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, as for zeal, as for legalistic righteousness, flawless, Philippians 3, 5, and 6. But by the end of his life, we glimpse a rare thing indeed, a man who had been pruned until there was nothing left of his self-life. All that made Paul who he was, his job, position, heritage, pride, religion, had been pruned away. 
In his final letter from prison, he wrote, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Philippians 3, 7 to 8. By now, Paul didn't need to order his priorities. He had only one. But one thing I do, he wrote, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You may be thinking, sure, a spiritual giant like the Apostle Paul can live a, long, a life of radical pruning, but is that really what God wants for me? For your answer, don't miss Paul's closing exhortation. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And that is verse 15. Here is a testimony to the goal of mature pruning, that you will finally be so surrendered to God that everything you now love dearly, even worthy activities and goals, will be let go into God's sovereign keeping. What remains in your grip is one passion, one goal, one unhindered opportunity to bear more fruit. The truth is, Christians who have experienced deep pruning don't focus on what is left behind anyway. They're given to courageous, hope-filled, forward-straining prayers on the order of this one from author John Piper. Lord, let me make a difference for you that is utterly disproportionate to who I am. Your response is everything. In the last two chapters, we've been talking about how God acts in our lives to move us from fruit to more fruit, from a basket with some fruit in it to one with a lot. My goal is to help you recognize what is already happening in your life so you can cooperate with God and move to the next level of abundance. I am not inviting you to ask for pruning. Trials will come. The question is simply whether or not you will let the purposeful pruning of God do its work in your life or let it go to waste. In pruning, how you respond makes all the difference. You can complain, rebel, compromise, or run away. Or you can experience the joy, comfort, and rest that come to disciples who keep their eyes on the prize, not the pain. Listen to Peter describe how some Christians in his day were triumphing in the middle of severe testing. In this, your response is everything. In the last two chapters, we've been talking about how God acts in our lives to move us from fruit to more fruit, from a basket with some fruit in it to one with a lot. My goal is to help you recognize what is already happening in your life so you can cooperate with God and move on to the next level of abundance. I am not inviting you to ask for pruning. Trials will come. The question is simply whether or not you will let the purposeful pruning of God do its work in you or let it go to waste. In pruning, how you respond makes all the difference. 
You can complain, rebel, compromise, or run away. Or you can experience the joy, comfort, and rest that come to disciples who keep their eyes on the prize and not the pain. Listen to Peter describe how some Christians in his day were triumphing in the middle of severe testing. In this you greatly rejoice, through now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you, love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. 1 Peter 1, 6-8 Here, at this point of believing with joy, the last secret of the vine opens to you. You are ready to experience the sweetest abundance of all. The mystery Jesus called abiding. This concludes chapter 6, Flourishing Under the Shears. Secrets of the Vine, chapter 6, Flourishing Under the Shears. Did you know that growers prune their vineyards more intensely as the vines age? One horticultural bulletin I read explained why. The vine's ability to produce growth increases each year, but without intensive pruning, the plant weakens and its crop diminishes. Mature branches must be pruned hard to achieve maximum yields. If you look at the future from a maturing plant's point of view, there is considerable cutting in store. But from the grower's point of view, the future holds something wonderful. Grapes, grapes, and more grapes. In this second chapter on pruning, I want to show you what God is doing to take you to that fuller basket of fruit in your life. While early pruning is mostly about outward activities and priorities, mature pruning is about your values and personal identity. God moves in close for more intensive pruning because by now you are really ready to produce. What God asks of you now may seem difficult, but the results, if you say yes to the vine dresser, will be dramatically more than you could ever have imagined. Many Christians never get this far. In fact, if you're not really committed to reaching the next level of abundance, more fruit, you probably shouldn't read this chapter. When Jesus told his friends that it would, what it would cost to follow him, many turned back. Yet the impact of those who didn't is still shaking the world today. If you know by now that God has a unique and important destiny for you, and you want it with all your heart, this chapter will take you across the next threshold to your future. The Testing of Your Faith I find it helpful 
to think of mature pruning in terms of the Bible phrase, the testing of your faith. By the time they wrote their epistles, the disciples had learned to see every trial as a chance to perfect their trust in the Lord and multiply their effectiveness for him. Let the testing of your faith have its perfect work, wrote James, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. James 1, 3 to 4. In mature pruning, the pruning will intensify as God's shears cut closer to the core of who you are. God isn't trying to just take away. He's faithfully at work to make room to add strength productivity, and spiritual power in your life. His goal is to bring you closer to the perfect and complete image of Jesus Christ. Tests of faith have nothing to do with the status of your salvation. That settled. Excuse me. Tests of the faith have nothing to do with the status of your salvation. That's a settled fact. Neither are these tests on the level of why doesn't God help me find my car keys. Tests of faith are various trials and hardships that invite you to surrender something of great value to God, even when you have every right not to. You will feel assaulted or stretched by circumstances, but not distant from God, tried by him, but not judged or guilty. A psalmist describes the refining experience and the priceless result. For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver, but you brought us to a place of abundance. Psalm 66, verse 10 and 12. Have you ever realized that a test of faith doesn't really test anything? unless it pushes you past your last test. Past what you've proven on previous tests. That's why pruning often lasts longer and goes further than we think is reasonable or fair. And that's also why if you pull back when you reach what seems like your limit, you will never grow or know how much you can really trust God. When your faith feels pressed to the limit, remember some important pruning truths. Truth number one, God doesn't apply pain when a more pleasant method would do just as well. Pruning is always the only and best answer to our deepest desires. It is the tender gift of an all-wise and all-loving Father. Pain was the loving and legitimate violence necessary to produce my liberty wrote Blase Pascal. Truth number two, not every painful experience is the result of pruning. Is your heart breaking because your teenager is experimenting with drugs and sex? God did not cause your son to do these things in order to prune you. Are you suddenly facing a future with diabetes or prostate cancer? God isn't purposefully constraining your life just to see how you will react. Yet every trial you face is an opportunity to let him work in your life for abundance. 
If you invite him into your circumstances, he will keep his promise to work everything together for your good. Romans 8 and 28. The pain of pruning comes now, but the fruit comes later. Just as in the vineyard, pruning in our lives is seasonal. But the quantity and quality of the future harvest depends on our submission to the vine dresser now. Even though the duration, depth, and breadth of pruning seasons will vary, no season lasts indefinitely. A season is coming, I promise, when you will know that you are no longer under God's shears. Everywhere you look, you'll see amazing evidence of personal transformation and expanded ministry for God. Consider the many trials Paul endured. Then consider the incredible size of Paul's harvest. It's impossible even to measure, isn't it? Paul's branch is still yielding fruit today. Which leads us to a very important question. If a supernatural harvest is what you really want, how can you tell exactly where God is pruning you so that you can cooperate with him? Tell me where it hurts. Jesus' conversation in the vineyard proves that God never intended pruning to be a mystery or confusing to us. When you were a child and you injured yourself, your mother's first question when she saw your tears was, where does it hurt? When God is pruning you, you hurt somewhere in particular. The pain comes from the point where his shears are snipping something away. If you are confused about where God is pruning you, ask yourself the same question. Where does it hurt? Through pain, God gets your attention and signals his urgency. The discomfort says, pay attention here. 1 Samuel 25 tells the memorable story of how God used the pain test in David's life to prepare him for a remarkable future. He had already been anointed as Israel's next king, yet for years God seemed to abandon him. The former giant killer and national hero was reduced to hiding in caves to try to escape the murderous hatred of King Saul. You can read his spiritual journals from this excruciating season in Psalms 54, 57, and 63. One day, out of hope and near starvation, David instructs his men to politely ask a nearby estate owner named Nabal for food. Who is this David? Nabal roars and refuses the request. That humiliating rejection is a direct hit to David's sorest point, his pride. Not to mention his confidence, his sense of fairness, and his identity. Enraged, David sets out with his fighting men to slaughter Nabal's entire household. But Nabal's wife, Abigail, hears what has happened and rushes out to intercept David. 
She brings a caravan laden with supplies. But her most important gift is an impassioned reminder to David that his real identity and the security for his future are safe in God's hands. In effect, Abigail pleads with David to see beyond his pain and choose instead to pass his test of faith. David recognizes her wisdom and turns back. That crisis, coupled with his terrible years in the desert, was part of the pruning season necessary to prepare David for his future as Israel's greatest king. He learned how to submit to authority, to lead men, to endure, and to trust God in trying circumstances. Where does it hurt in your life today? Look for the vine dresser's shears at work, shaping, directing, and strengthening you for a season of abundance that you may not be able to see right now, but is nevertheless on its way. Prime Points of Pruning Mature pruning is God's way of helping you put into practice His command to seek first the kingdom of God. This is why God will always prune those things that we slavishly seek first, love most, and begrudge giving up. Again, His goal isn't to plunder or harm, but to liberate us so that we can pursue our true desire, His kingdom. This kind of pruning goes beyond rearranging priorities to the heart of what defines us, the people we love, the possessions we cling to, our deep sense of personal rights. These are the very arenas God must rule if we are to bear fruit. Let me share some pruning stories from my own journey as a disciple. Each story shows a key area where sooner or later, for every mature believer, God's shears will be at work. Arena 1. The People You Love Most I'll never forget a war that raged on a pink shag rug in a little girl's bedroom in Iowa. I was in Desmonis for a seminar, staying with friends. They had put me up in their little girl's bedroom. Everything was pink and small, and my feet hung over the end of the bed. But as I lay in that little bed, I found myself praying for a larger life. Lord, I prayed out loud, we've come so far. What is next? Your kids, he said. I told him I loved my kids. God said, give me your kids. I didn't have to think. Nope, I said. You can't have them. Have you ever arrived suddenly at a pruning point like that? Surrender does not even seem to be an option. The hours ticked by. I found myself kneeling on that pink battlefield wrestling with God. Not until 3 a.m. was I finally able to release my children and my wife into his keeping. When the transaction was done, those dearest humans in my life no longer belong to me. I am still privileged to love and tend them, 
but ownership's rights have passed over to God. God may be asking you to give up your right to be married, to have children, or to achieve a particular kind of success. God may be inviting you to follow Christ without the support of your closest family members, possibly even enduring their hatred and rejection because of your faith. If so, he is pruning closely to what really matters to you, not to take something good from you, but to become Lord of all your desire. Arena 2. Your right to know why God does what he does. We're born with the conviction that we deserve to be in control of our lives. Yet, this assumption is in conflict with the life of faith. That's why, very early in mature pruning, God will ask you to give up your right to know why certain things are happening to you. When he was very young, I took our son David to the hospital for a shot. As the doctor approached with the needle in hand, David bolted. When I finally corralled him behind a planter and swung him up into my arms, I saw the terror in his face. How can you explain to a sick toddler that his body needs penicillin? Yet David stayed in my arms as the doctor prepared to give the injection. When the moment came, David didn't push me away. Instead, he held on more tightly and cried out, Daddy! We go through long seasons in our faith walk when we are unable to answer questions like why and how long. We only know who our loving Father, and He has proven worthy of our trust. He has asked us to let go of reasons, of rights, of fears, and simply throw our arms around His neck. At those times, we can pray, Father, I am hanging on to You. You can do whatever You want. Just carry me through. Arena 3, Your Love for Money and possessions. For most of us, shedding the power that possessions and material comforts hold over us is a lifelong process and one of the most difficult. I found that the love of money springs up like a noxious weed. Servitude to money and possessions demands our energies, our time, our loyalties. That's why, season after season, the vine dresser asks us to let go of the things we still hold too tightly. God is asking you to release something to him, either literally or in your heart. To know where you are in this process, ask yourself, how much of what's mine has God already asked for? And have I given it to him? If we allow this process of pruning to continue, an exuberant freedom to bless others will flourish in its place. This beautiful outcome is described by Paul in a letter to the Corinthians. We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2. Arena 4. The Sources of Your Significance. The prize at stake here is your God-given need for a sense of worth and purpose. For Abraham, 
it was his miracle son, Isaac. For Gideon, it was his large army. What is it for you? For me, it was the ministry, the walk through the Bible. I struggled for years to give back to God what I understood to be my life's work. The final test came when I grew increasingly sure that God wanted me to make an executive decision that I knew could end the ministry. I felt like God was asking me to give him my life's dream. I vacillated. I postponed. Finally, the day came when I put the future of walkthrough on the altar. I informed our team that we would no longer support the ministry in this way. When I got home, I told Darlene that this chapter of our life was over. To the forced choice question of God or my ministry, I had chosen God. But walkthrough did not close its doors. Once I chose God, he blessed the ministry in ways I never imagined. I understand now that during the period of pruning, God was bringing me to a critical juncture in my Christian life. In order to reach the next level of abundance, I would have to completely give back to him the work he himself had given me, trusting only in him for what would happen next. Secrets of the Vine, Chapter 5, A Country Awakening One early spring, Darlene and I moved with our family to the country. We needed to slow down. We were looking forward to enjoying the beauty of our new place. A couple of days after we unpacked, I was puttering in my garage when I noticed my neighbor hacking down a row of grapevines that rambled along a fence on our shared property line. I had assumed that we owned the vines jointly. Wasn't that how things worked in the country? We already had visions of feasting on buckets full of grapes in the fall. I walked over to say hi. My neighbor, a large white-haired man in overalls, wielded the biggest set of shears I'd ever seen. All around him lay heaps of grape branches. You don't like grapes, I guess, I said, trying to conceal my distress. Love grapes, he said. Really? Well, I thought maybe we would be sharing the crop from this vine, and I... I hesitated. Maybe it was too late to do any good. He eyed my shiny shoes. You're a city boy, aren't you? He said. Not exactly, but I, but I don't know about grapes, do you? He broke in and went back to hacking at the vine. I told him that I liked the taste of them, and I told him I had particularly liked the promising look of this row of grapes when I bought the place. You like big, juicy grapes? He asked over his shoulder. Of course, my family does too, I said. Well, son, he said, we can either grow ourselves a lot of beautiful leaves filling up this whole fence line, or we can have the biggest, juiciest, sweetest grapes you and your family have ever seen. He looked at me. We just can't have both. 
Is this love or sheer madness? We've seen how God intervenes in our lives when our branch is bare because of sin. But what does he do when the branch of our life looks pretty good? Like the gorgeous vine rambling down my fence line. Yet our basket still has plenty of room left for more harvest. In this chapter and the next, I am going to help you understand the second secret of the vineyard. After Jesus told his disciples how the vine dresser cares for the barren branch, he reached for a branch that showed rampant growth, but produced only a few clusters of grapes. Listen again to what he said. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. John 15 and 2. God's strategy for coaxing a greater harvest out of his branches is not the one you and I would prefer. His plan is to prune, which means to thin, to reduce, to cut off. As unthinkable as it sounds, as contradictory as it is, the vine dresser's secret for more is less. Are you ready for a troubling truth that once grasped will free you to view the trials you're now facing in a new light, even change how you feel about them and reward you with a beautiful harvest for God? Then you're ready for the second secret of the vine. Second secret of the vine. If your life bears some fruit, God will intervene to prune you. If necessary, he will risk your misunderstanding of his methods and motives. His purpose is for you to cut away immature commitments and lesser priorities to make room for even greater abundance for his glory. Pictures of Plenty Looking at the branch in Jesus' hand that night, the disciples knew exactly what he meant by pruning. Vineyards had been a symbol of God's generous provision for Israel for almost 2,000 years. The disciples knew grapes like an Englishman today knows tea. They understood that to get more from a grapevine, you have to go against the plant's natural tendency. Recently, I read a gardening report that explained why. Because of the grape's tendency to grow so vigorously, a lot of wood must be cut away each year. Grapevines can become so dense that the sun cannot reach into the area where fruit should form. Left to itself, a grape plant will always favor new growth over more grapes. The result? From a distance, luxurious growth and impressive achievement. Up close, an underwhelming harvest. That's why the vine dresser cuts away unnecessary shoots, no matter how vigorous, because a vineyard's only purpose is grapes. In fact, pruning is a grower's single most important technique for ensuring a plentiful harvest. For the Christian, rampant growth represents all those preoccupations and priorities in our lives that, while not wrong, are keeping us from more significant ministry for God. Without pruning, 
Growing Christians will only be able to live up to a fraction of their potential. The principle of pruning invites a revealing question about your spiritual life. Are you praying for God's super abundant blessings and pleading that he will make you more like his son? If your answer is yes, then you are asking for the shears. Pruning is how God answers your prayers that your life will please him more and have a greater impact for eternity. Profiles in Pruning In the vineyard, an expert pruner applies his skills in four specific ways. To remove growth that is dead or dying. To make sure sunlight can get to all the fruit-bearing branches. To increase the size and quality of the fruit and to encourage new fruit to develop. Our father, the vine dresser, is guided by similar principles to make room for the kind of abundance he created for us. He must first cut away parts of our lives that drain precious time and energy from what's truly important. His plan for pruning is anything but random, and he works in every life uniquely. What he judges as wasteful for me might be necessary to you. In teaching this passage over the years, I have asked many branch mates to describe what pruning has looked like in their lives. Here are some of the things I've heard. Kyle, airline employee. After I became a Christian, I noticed that my monthly night out with my old crowd from high school began to leave me feeling empty and out of place. So I quit going. Interestingly enough, a few months later, I led one of the guys to the Lord. Through Kyle's dissatisfaction, God was showing him that an old activity was dead or dying. It took up time and energy, giving little in return. When Kyle let go of it, new results quickly showed in its place. Lashana, a mother of four. God has been nudging me to let go of some selfish habits that have been hindering my marriage for a long time. Just accepting the challenge to change felt like pruning to me. But since I've been meeting weekly with an older woman in our church, I'm experiencing new freedom. I'm very thankful. So is my husband. Lashana's self-oriented behaviors were choking out her ability to bear fruit in her marriage. God wanted more son to reach her key relationship. Jared, college senior. I had to decide which was more important, the perfect two-hour workout or dedicating more time to our growing campus ministry. God was inviting Jared to set aside more time to increase the size and quality of the fruit in his life. Howard, Retired programmer. I thought I would spend my retirement playing golf and traveling, but God has been showing me some golden opportunities in short-term mission service. I think it's time to do something new for God, something really outside my comfort zone. God is looking for new fruit from Howard. If discipling is about sin, pruning is about self. In pruning, God asks you to let go of things that keep you from his kingdom purposes 
and your ultimate good. Pruning is how God changes the picture of your life from a basket that is almost empty to a basket that's starting to fill. Misunderstanding God's Methods Let's be honest. Pruning is cutting and cutting hurts. Sounds like being disciplined, doesn't it? No wonder most Christians have trouble distinguishing between discipline and pruning in their lives. It all feels the same, but it isn't. Jesus wanted his disciples to be very clear about the difference. Why? Because the purposes of discipline and pruning are entirely different. And because the consequences of confusing them can be disastrous. Jesus knew that if his future followers misread the vine dressers' actions in their lives, they would come to the wrong conclusions about the vine dresser's purpose and plan. I know for years I struggled with anger and confusion because I mistook the process of pruning for discipline. When intense periods of distress seemed to lay siege to me, my family, or my ministry, I turned things upside down, looking for the kind of major sin that would warrant the discomfort. I was experiencing. I asked Darlene to help me see what I was missing. I pleaded, what else do you want from me, Lord? I confessed every known sin and waited for relief. But when nothing changed, I frequently slipped into anger toward God, then into bitterness, then mistrust. The result was a break in my relationship with him. And here's the distress and irony. Over time, those wrong reactions to pruning became a four-lane freeway that took me out of pruning and right back into God's discipline. What a vicious and unnecessary cycle. I see now that if I hadn't finally grasped the difference, I could have been at odds with God for the rest of my life. But listen, vast numbers of Christians I talk to are stuck in the same misunderstanding, repeating the same detours, and getting the same painful results. In fact, I now believe that misreading God's actions or motives in pruning is the number one reason mature Christians unnecessarily slide back into discipline. Does this scenario describe your life? Does it explain some spiritual detours in your past? Thankfully, the secrets of the vine can help you put this problem to rest forever. You won't need to spend another day fighting against God and losing when you can be working with Him to win. Pruning versus discipline. Which is it? You can distinguish pruning from discipline by asking a few simple questions. I encourage you to carefully review the accompanying chart. If you suspect that you are being pruned, Follow these steps. Acknowledge that God is trying to get your attention. Decide that you don't want this season of turmoil to go to waste. Number two, trust that since a loving parent would tell a child why he or she is receiving correction, your loving father will do no less. Believe that he wants you to know whether you are experiencing discipline 
or pruning. Number three, ask the Lord to help you answer this question. Do you have a major sin that's causing you to discipline me? Do I have a major sin that's causing you to discipline me? And number four, pray. Lord, I want to know if you do not show me within a week from today that this is discipline, then I will take it by faith that it is pruning. From my own experience, I can assure you that God has many ways to let you know if a sin is the issue. You will find the truth in a scripture, a conversation, a teaching, or a phone call from a friend. Number five, if you conclude that you're being disciplined, sin is the problem. Repent and turn around. You'll never regret it. Number six, if you conclude that you're being pruned, your response is just as crucial and the rewards will be even greater. Ask God to show you clearly what he wants you to let go of and trust him enough to release it completely to him. So I'm going to take a few minutes to explain the chart that he referenced. So the chart is um, it's a three-column chart. It has issue, discipline, and pruning. So issue, how do you know it's happening? Discipline, pain, pruning, pain. Issue, why is it happening? Disciplining, you're doing something wrong. Pruning, you're doing something right. Issue, what is your level of fruitfulness? Pain, no fruit, represented in basket one. Pruning, fruit, represented by basket two. What is the vine dresser's desire? Discipline, fruit, represented by basket two. Pruning, he wants more fruit, represented by basket three. Issue, what needs to go? Disciplining, sin. Pruning, self. Issue, how should you feel? Discipline, guilty, sad. Pruning, relief, trust. Issue, what is the right response? Discipline, repent, stop sinning. Pruning, release, give God your permission. Issue, when does it stop? Discipline, when we stop sinning. Pruning, when God is finished. Is there something you should say to God? Imagine a sunny day in Indiana. Darren, 25, has driven up from Memphis to see his dad, whom he's hardly spoken to for years. They're out in the driveway shooting a few hoops. Finally, Darren gets out what he has driven so far to say. Dad, I didn't understand you for years. I didn't know why you had so many rules for me in high school about parties, TV, chores, driving, money. I didn't like your expectations. I thought you were mean and stupid. I said terrible things about you behind your back. And Dad, I'll admit that I hated you at times. But now I see that you were just trying to be a good dad. 
You only wanted what was best for me. You never gave up or gave in. I came here to apologize for what I have thought and said about you. I was wrong. I know I hurt you very deeply, and I'm sorry. I believe that the majority of believers need just such a conversation with their father. I remember the day I finally made amends with God over how I had been treating him. That was many years ago, and I can tell you that it has radically improved my relationship with God. Isn't it amazing that God allows himself to be hurt by us? We know this happens because Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. It's hard to comprehend God's tender love in the face of our misunderstanding, repeated rejection, and unwarranted abuse from us. Yet, his love remains constant. If your relationship with your father is injured, I encourage you to apologize today for your attitudes and thoughts. Tell God you have misunderstood his actions and badly misjudged his character. Tell him exactly how you have felt and why, and ask him for his forgiveness. Giving God permission. Darlene and I don't live in that house with the grape arbor anymore. But I've thought about my country awakening many times since. I can still see that row of grapevines in September, its branches thick with clusters of purple fruit. I can still see the kitchen table groaning under boxes and baskets of grapes. I can taste the sweetness. I can smell the vats of jams and jellies bubbling on the stove. I can see our daughter stirring the pot and juice running down our boy's chin. Abundance is such a beautiful thing, isn't it? You might be looking down the fence line of your life right now, seeing branches being hacked off, feeling assaulted by circumstances, maybe even by God himself, and wondering what God will do next. I must tell you that your Heavenly Father loves you so much that he won't stop tending your life. As you'll see in the next chapter, accepting the pruning process doesn't mean that your life or your enjoyment of it will shrink. The most fruitful and most joy-filled Christians are the most pruned Christians. This concludes chapter 5 of Secrets of the Vine, A Country Awakening.